Good morning. Oh, wow. Good morning. Uh, welcome to back. Let's find our seats to study God's Word. It's good to see everybody this morning. And um, just as we go through everything that's happening and we're still social distancing and we're still here and just some wonderful things. And it's, it's so wonderful to see God's family, His church coming together and worshiping. I want to start with just a, a, a thought and get some interaction with that. And, and the thought or the phrase is follow-up. Okay, follow-up. Just think about that for a minute. Is follow-up important? Yeah, okay, good. Now, I, I can say why is it important, but then it's hard to hear each other. So let me ask, let me just go to some different cases. Is follow-up in parenting important? <laughs> now, all the parents start to laugh. What happens if you don't follow up as a parent? Let's say that you give an instruction and say, okay, you, there is no free time, no entertainment time until your room is cleaned, okay? So it's simple instruction, right? That every everyone in here should be following, just saying. Um, especially my three kids that are in here. Um, and you never follow up on that, and they, whether they clean their room or not, they can do whatever they want. What is the result of that? Nothing happens. No, what? No clean room? Chaos. Why? You didn't mean it. If you don't follow up, you didn't mean it, right? And so, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm trying to get something done and the kids are trying to get their things done. Everything's important. I get that. And sometimes the questions are coming and the interruptions are coming. And, and sometimes Susie and I have to say, okay, I've heard your question for the last four times and we're thinking about it. We'll let you know. And the questions keep coming. And sometimes we have to say, okay, if you ask again, the answer is no. And that usually shuts it down. Well, provided we follow up and actually say no, right? Think about work for a minute. What if your boss kept asking you to do things and never followed up and never even cared if you did them? Now, hopefully we are all such men and women of integrity that we do it anyway. Now, in reality, though, I've seen this happen over and over. In reality, what isn't followed up on doesn't get done in the workplace, right? Because there's so many things bombarding you. And and, and we could go to every part of life and say follow-up is vital. It is essential to have things get done and for growth. As we come to 2 Thessalonians today, we come to really what is a follow-up letter. And, and I wanted to introduce it this way so we understand the big theme of Second Thessalonians is Paul is following up on what he has trained the, the Thessalonian church because he, he, he started the church. What he initially trained, then he was ripped away because he, of some persecution and, and he was ripped away and then he sent a letter. He sent Timothy possibly twice and now he's following up yet again with Second Thessalonians to correct some things. And, and one of the things that we say at Village, we're all about discipleship, and we want discipleship to be part of our DNA. And I know there's discipleship relationships, and we structure our youth programs to be discipleship-oriented. Well, discipleship is really a story of follow-up. It, it really is a story of follow-up, of walking through life with someone and saying, 
hey, this is what you should do, or this is what you shouldn't do, or let's apply God's word to this situation, or you didn't apply God's word to that situation and see what happened then. And the the idea of follow-up is the idea of relationship, and it is essential to helping each other grow and discipling each other in the body of Christ. So we come to 2 Thessalonians today, and it's a letter of follow-up, like I said, and one where, where Paul follows up because he genuinely cares because he genuinely wants this church to follow Christ. Now the setting probably is that we we know that Paul and and Silas and Timothy founded the church and then after a few weeks, six, seven weeks probably, just encountered major persecution. They had to leave. They went off to Berea, a a city close, and and then they ended up getting the same persecution there because the guys that were persecuting them followed them. And then they end up down in Athens and then Corinth. But in Athens, Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica because he's worried about them. And he's concerned about their spiritual growth. It is hard to father a church for six weeks and say, and be, be torn away from it and hope they're okay. Right? This is review from 1 Thessalonians. And so he sends Timothy and Timothy comes back with a report. And Paul then answers. And, and by this point, Paul's in Corinth. And he writes 1 Thessalonians to sort of answer some questions, it looks like, correct some doctrine, and and really keep them going and correct some actions that are happening there. We don't know who took that letter, probably Timothy again. So Timothy goes back, because Timothy was the junior member, so he wasn't as subject to the persecution, so he could sneak in and out of the city, and he was cool. Um, So he takes the letter again, 1 Thessalonians, and takes it to the church, watches what's happening at the church, watches their response, comes back and tells Paul what's going on. Second Thessalonians was probably written within weeks, a month at most, of Timothy returning and giving that report. So that's the time frame uh, that we're working at. Paul, what he heard was enough that he felt there needed to be immediate follow-up, both to praise and to correction to help them out. And so we come to first, Second Thessalonians. I'll say First Thessalonians a lot today as I'm switching between books. We come to Second Thessalonians. We're just going to look at verses 1 to 5 today, an introduction. Some of this will be reminding ourselves of what we talked about in the introduction to First Thessalonians. But it's important, it's vital to understand the background of a book so we understand the content of a book. So context helps us understand content. And so whenever you're reading a book of the Bible, this isn't something that you have to get like a whole bunch of commentaries or something. A couple are nice. But if you have a good study Bible, you can look at the beginning of any book of the Bible. And for instance, the ESV study Bible has two, three pages on 2 Thessalonians. Always read those. My encouragement to her is always read those as you come to a book of the Bible. It will help you understand the book. Because we want to understand what it meant to the church at Thessalonica when they received it. It can't mean now what it never meant to then. And so that's just part of good biblical exegesis and understanding God's Word. So we come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and and we start with the greeting in verses 1 and 2. And I would title the greeting, and actually my title for the whole morning is Hello Again, right? If you've ever been in a conversation, you end the conversation. Last week we talked about ending Zoom calls 
You end a conversation and without fail, 30 seconds later, you remember why you called or you remember what you forgot to talk about and you like call again or text again. Hello again. I forgot such, such and such. This isn't so much Paul forgetting something, but he's following up because he has an ongoing relationship with these Christians, with these brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we get to verses 1 and 2, and these are almost identical to 1 Thessalonians. And if you want, you can go back and forth because we always want to notice the differences when something is so close. But in verses 1 and 2, the greeting, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Again, Silvanus is just another word for Silas. So this is Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And this is the group that founded the church on Paul's second missionary journey. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a pretty standard greeting. You have the sender, you have the recipient, you have the greeting there. But there's a couple things that are different that are, that are key from 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, verse 1 says, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in 2 Thessalonians, Paul tweaks that a little bit, changes it to God, our Father. And he's reminding them of their status as adopted children. He's reminding them that God isn't just the, the, God the Father and Jesus Christ. It's not just their relationship, but God is our Father. And he's our Heavenly Father. And we started the service reminded that God is our Heavenly Father and we worship him. We come on Father's Day remind, remembering our Heavenly Father. And Paul is stressing this. He is your father. If you're a believer, he is your father. You are adopted sons and daughters of the king and nothing can ever change that. We can rest in that. And so there's words of encouragement here too to be sure of their relationship with Jesus Christ and with God, their father, our father. We see then the greeting go on, grace to you and peace. And grace is, is reminding, reminding us of that undeserved work of Christ on the cross, that God through Christ has offered us salvation because Christ paid the debt for our sins. And if we follow him, that payment applies to our lives. And his payment pays the debt for our sins. That's grace because we don't deserve it, right? You know, when, when, when a child just is really struggling and they're, they're, their attitude isn't good and, and everything, and then, and then you still feed them. That's grace. It's also the law. Um, <laughs> but there are times that maybe as mom and dad, we say, you know what, I, I know a lot's going on. And I want to be an example of God's grace to you. See, none of us deserve the cross. We think we do. But none of us deserve salvation. None of us have earned it. None of us are so good or so special that Jesus had to come for us. But he loved us so much that he did come and die on the cross for us. And so we want to be blown away by grace. And that's going to be one of the things that Paul keeps bringing up. And then peace is the second one. Peace is that reconciled relationship with God and then with others. That only comes because of the grace, because of the work of the cross. And so Paul always starts or often starts his letters with grace and peace. Remember God's work. Remember the reconciliation that he has bought. And then again, a phrase that isn't in 1 Thessalonians because he's reminding them of their standing with God. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's reminding them that it's not our work, but his work. 
And we are adopted through no merit of our own, but we are brought into the kingdom. And out of this greeting should come awe and praise and worship of the King of kings and Lord of lords because of what He has done for us as Father. You know, some other things out of the greeting and just reminding us of some, some things from First Thessalonians and our introduction there. If you want a little more detail on some of those, you can go back and listen to that message. But we see the author here. And the author is Paul with Silas, with Timothy. Primary author is Paul, though. And, and probably Silas or Timothy, one of them was acting as his scribe. And, and you see Paul's team approach here, and he's bringing them into ministry. Even though he's the primary author, it's not like, well, I, Paul, as, as the apostle with these junior guys are writing. No, no, it's just Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We're writing to you. And so we see a wonderful humility from Paul. We see just his way of, of reaching out and mentoring a congregation. The audience... As, we, as you see in, the, in verse 1 there, is the church at Thessalonica. And if you remember about Thessalonica, and, and it's good to remember this, even it, it seems like we started 1 Thessalonians five years ago. It was right when we got locked down. And, um, but it was really only a few months. But it's helpful to remember this, because I, I sometimes forget some of the things about this city. Thessalonica was a big deal. It was the capital of Roman Macedonia. It was on an important east-west trade route, between Asia and Rome, so it was huge in that way, but then it also was a natural harbor on the Aegean Sea, and so it was a large port city. So this was a strategic city. It was a very worldly city, and, and I said in the, the last introduction, it was a secular city, but yet they had all kinds of temples to all kinds of God. You could find a way to worship any God you wanted in Thessalonica, but not the true God. And so it was just so worldly and you can find any entertainment you wanted, anything you wanted to do. Maybe this was Vegas on the coast. It was a populated town, 100,000, 200,000 people. For us, we're like, well, that's Garden Grove. For them, that was huge, right? That that was a, a big deal. Fairly international city because of the trade routes. You had Jews there, you had Gentiles there, people from all over. If you look at the, the map, I think I have a map. It's up at the, the top there. You see the Ignatian Way and Thessalonica in red. I didn't bring my little pointer. And you can see it's right on a port, but then it's a perfect spot for the east-west travel. You see Berea to the left and then down near the bottom, Corinth. That's where Paul's writing from. And he's sending these messages back up to Thessalonica because he cared so deeply about them. Even today, I mentioned this before, Thessalonica still exists. I have a picture this time of, of Thessalonica. This is today. This is not how it looked for Paul. That would have majorly blown his mind if it was. Um, even the castle is more, I believe, from the Byzantine era, a little bit later after Paul. But you can see it's right on the, the sea. And because of its strategic location, it still thrives today. It's huge today. It's a destination for resorts and different things. And, and so it's called Thessaloniki today. But this is a city that was very, very worldly, but very strategic. This is where Paul started a church. I can just imagine starting a church of new believers with all this temptation, all this stuff going on. As they begin to follow Christ, there's, there's um, persecution. People are mad at them for that. 
And you had all kinds of other options. Why not worship Zeus? Why not Jupiter? Why not Apollo? Why not the emperor? Who is this Jesus guy? But the church was making it. Because it was true. And they were following the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the Holy Spirit was at work. So then Paul and group had to leave. And I've already given you that timeline. And we come down to purpose in your notes. And this is, like I said, the purpose is to respond again, to follow up. It looks like they were doing some things really well from the first letter. And we're going to hit three of those today. It also looked like some things had gotten worse from the first letter. It, it looks as if that there were more concerns about Jesus' return. He dealt with that in First Thessalonians. Now he's dealing with it from the standpoint of you didn't miss it. Because some were saying, and maybe there was a false letter going around, some were saying, yeah, Jesus, Jesus already returned. Sorry, you, you missed it. Too bad. And, and so there was this concern of, okay, did I miss the fact that Jesus returned? So Paul wants to correct that. There were more people, it looks like a, a, a more pronounced problem of just idleness, people being lazy. Well, okay, if I missed it, no need working. What's the purpose of life? If I didn't miss it, Jesus is coming back soon, so there's no need to work. And so there was a problem with just lazy idleness. And so Paul wants to readdress that. Also, it looks like persecution was ramping up. In Second Thessalonians, we see more concern about the church that's persecuted, about people that are, are um, attacking the church, attacking the people of the church. And so Paul wants to follow up. And Paul wants to make sure this church stays on the right track and stays walking with God. For date in your notes, probably around 51 AD, um, like I said, just a, a few weeks or months after 1 Thessalonians, depending on travel time and how to get back and forth. Um, Paul was at Corinth for 18 months, and so it was sometime in there. The themes of, of 2 Thessalonians, shocker, they're the same as 1 Thessalonians. This is why we're doing both books together, um, because again, it's, it's mostly the same time period. So he's going to deal with how to live the life pleasing to God still. He's going to deal with Jesus' second coming and correct some things and talk about the man of lawlessness, and that's all coming in a couple weeks. He again is going to be an example of how to minister to God, how to minister to others in a God-pleasing way. We're going to see that even today. But he's also going to really stress perseverance and difficulties. He's going to challenge them not to be discouraged by opposition, by suffering, by trials, because they're in the middle of it and they're experiencing it. And so we continue with the main point, same as 1 Thessalonians. It's a challenge to live in a manner that is pleasing to God here while eagerly looking for His sure return. Coming back to the text, we want to hit the next three verses. And really, this is all part of the intro, part of hello again. And, and he starts by showing his heart for ministry. And, and it's interesting because as I look at this and as I think of how Paul ministers, I think of how dad should minister and, and, and how I should minister to my family. And he starts with thanksgiving. He starts with encouragement. If you remember 1 Thessalonians 5.14 a couple weeks ago, he said, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol, which was a harsher, more urgent thing, but then encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now in Second Thessalonians, that's how Paul starts, by encouraging the faint-hearted, by helping the weak. 
And I think what an example as a father, what an example as a leader of knowing what is appropriate at what time and to always start with encouraging words. Dads, when we go in on our children and we just jump right in and I do it too, the defenses go up and they don't hear. But if we can come in with some encouraging words and come in in a way that opens the door for truth, that is so much more effective. And so we come to verses 3 through 5. And this is, this is the aspect of Paul is now following up with thanksgiving. And he's thankful for, he gives thanks that certain things are true. And in verse 3 we read, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So right from the start, we see three things that Paul gives thanks for. And this is how he starts his follow-up letter. Oh, so many good, good things to follow in his example. The first is he gives thanks that their faith is healthy and growing abundantly. In verse 3 there, we ought always to give thanks to God for your brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And, and he, he begins with, we ought always. And the idea is we have an obligation to, and it's not a bad obligation like, oh, I have to give thanks for you. Oh, I'm thankful for your faith. Yeah, that was effective. Um, no, no, the idea here, and, and, and especially when you pair it with the word later, as is right, He's saying, no, you've earned this praise. And it's almost the idea that word has gotten back to them that they don't think they deserve praise for their faith. And he's saying, no, no, you've earned it. It's right for me to do this. My obligation is because you've, you've shown so much faith, man, I should praise you for this. I should commend you for this. And so he gives praise where praise is due. We ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers or brothers and sisters as is right, as you deserve, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the word for growing abundantly there was often used of plant growth and, and vigorous plant growth. And so it represented a plant that's doing really well, so not one that I've ever touched. But it, it's healthy and green and growing and vigorously growing. It's flourishing. Isn't that a great way to start a word to a church? Your faith is, is vigorously growing. It's healthy. You are doing awesome in your faith. And that's how Paul starts this. He, he gives a wonderful description of what they've been working on. I don't know if you remember back to 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12, and I'll put it on the screen. His prayer for them, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face, and supply what is lacking in your faith. He prayed for their faith, and then in verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. His prayer just a couple months before was that they would increase in faith and that their love for each other would grow. Do you catch what he's saying in his thanksgiving? Your faith is abundantly growing and your love for each other is increasing. And so he's saying God answered prayer. God is doing a work in you and it's wonderful to see how God is helping you grow. So he commends them first for a faith that is healthy and growing abundantly. Now, 
as I'm thinking this through, I'm thinking, okay, so what does that look like? What does it mean to have a healthy faith or a faith that is growing abundantly, a faith that is increasing? And, and there's a couple of ways of looking at it. And, we, and from James, we should have a couple of ways already of looking at it. Part of faith is definitely knowledge, right? So part of, because the word comes from belief. And if I don't have knowledge to believe in, I don't have faith. So there has to be a foundation for faith. It's why we teach from God's word. It's why we're doing a, a class on apologetics to know what you believe. We must know what we believe. And that's part of growing our faith. If we want a growing faith, we need to be expanding what we know and understand. If we are never looking at the teaching of God's Word, if we're never reading God's Word, if we're never reading books about God's Word, our faith will be stagnant and stale and it won't grow. Just sort of wither away. Maybe exist for a while if we know all the right words to say. But a faith that's growing, the knowledge of that faith has to be fed. The truth of that faith has to be said. You know, I'm keenly aware of statistics that say many, many students after college walk away from the faith. And that, that burdens me, that pains my heart. In, in 22 years of youth ministry, I watched that happen over and over. And I also watched students that stayed with the faith and are walking with God and serving Him. But one of the keys is do we know what we believe? Or are we just coming to church? Do we understand that, that the Christian faith is rational, it is understandable, and there is, is truth behind the faith? And truth is never afraid of questions. Truth is never afraid of that discussion. And so a growing faith has to put a priority on God's Word and understanding and learning God's Word. But a growing faith also exhibits something else. It exhibits actions that are consistent with that belief. And in fact, the wording here implies both because the word for faith can also mean faithfulness and the actions that come out of faith. And so Paul here is commending that they've increased in their knowledge of the faith, but their actions in in correspondence with that faith have matched. The external must match the internal for it to be a growing faith. And think about it. If you think of someone in your life that you would say has a strong growing faith in Christ, don't they have both? Always? Would you say that of someone that was ignorant of Scripture? No. You'd be like, they, they're ignorant of Scripture. They, they don't have a growing faith. Would you say that of someone that didn't live out their faith? No. And so when Paul commends them, and, and this is a direct lesson for us, how is our faith growing? Are we growing in knowledge? Are we growing in in action of faith? And and I would say that my my, as I think through village and where we're at, I, I know that we are teaching God's Word and we are deep in God's Word. But my challenge to you is make sure that comes out in the external. Make sure that comes out in life. And 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 Part of how that comes out is talking about God, is oozing out our Christianity because we live for Him above all else. And so when I, in my life, I think, okay, how many, how many God conversations outside people in the church have I had this week? And that steps on my toes. How intentional have I been to exhibit my faith to a world that we say desperately needs Jesus? You know, maybe a step 
to start to address this is to start to have some God conversations outside our normal circles. And, and I know that we can think of, oh, it's so awkward to bring up God. Sometimes. But that awkwardness is this big compared to eternity, or maybe this big compared to eternity. And actually, there's ways... I, I think people are far more receptive than we think to talking about God. And it doesn't have to be, well, you know, let, let's talk about evidence that demands a verdict. And I know we're checking out the grocery store, but... Um, let, let's go deep. Know what I'm talking about. Because God is, our, our faith is part of our life. With the grocery store checker or with someone that we're talking to, can we first of all engage conversation, which maybe that's harder now with screens and masks and everything else, but can we try to engage conversation? But a simple way to start this is, hey, you know what? I, I'd love to pray for you. Is there anything I want to pray for you that I can pray for you about? I have never seen that fall on deaf ears. I have never seen someone or had someone respond to me like, how dare you want to pray for me? Usually it's, wow, you'd do that for me? Yeah, if you could pray for my husband and I, or if you could pray for this. I don't know where they're at with God, but to start integrating our faith with life is part of having a growing, abundant faith. How will we do that? I was meeting with someone this week that um, isn't a believer. And, and you just got to go there. And, and, and no, I didn't say, you know what, without Jesus, you're going to hell and you're going to fry. No, I didn't say that. No, there's truth there. That's not how you word it. But I said, you know what? I can go to why I'm a pastor. I want people to know more about God. I want people to know more about truth and what he's done for us. Things like that are ways to just start having normal conversations that show that our faith transfers from Sunday to Monday through through Saturday, whatever the last day of the week is. (laughs) Try that this week. Try that with some of your conversations. Can I pray for you? What's something I can pray for you about? And then maybe next time you see them, ask about that item, especially like if it's someone at the grocery store that you see regularly or, or something else. So how's, how's your son doing? How's your daughter doing? But let's be a church that can be thanked for abundantly growing faith. The second thing Paul mentions there says he thanks God because of their faith is that their faith is growing abundantly and then that the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. That's a tongue twister. So I just say their love for each other is increasing. Let's just narrow it down. And what an amazing thing to say in trial. In difficulty. You know as we as we navigate 2020 and all the the joys that that has brought There is a real threat that this could divide God's church. There is a real threat that our opinions and how strongly we hold them can divide God's church. And I'm not saying don't have opinions. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. But what, what people should see when they see us come together is how much we love each other. How much we care for each other. I love it that we have different opinions. I love a vigorous conversation and, and, and hoping that you see that I'm right eventually. But, um, 
If only that wasn't so true. I'm working on that. (laughs) But what would a community have to do for Paul to say this? And the love of every one of you, it's not just the love of Sarah or the love of, of Chuck or whatever. The love of every one of you for one another is increasing. What kinds of things, and I'm going to be interactive again, what kinds of things would a congregation, would a church have to be doing to get that label? What do you think? Follow-up. Amen. I think follow-up is a sign of love. Actually, I think you're right. I think when we, when we don't follow up, it's a sign of not caring. What else? What would a congregation have to do? Serving each other, okay? Examples. Helping someone clean their garage. Good. I mean, let, let's get real here for a minute. Helping someone clean their garage is an act of love for each other, right? Do you think... <laughs> we'll have sign-ups. <laughs> Here's the cool thing. Do you think neighbors notice? I, I, I've seen some moving parties where we've had 30, 40 people go move someone and the neighbors are like, where, where did all those people come from? You have a choice then. Do you integrate faith with your words and tell them where they came from? Or do you say, oh, I have some friends come? <laughs> what else? What would a church have to do to get the label of all of you are increasing in your love for one another? Yeah. Do you think that might be a bright light in this world right now? <laughs> yeah. That is huge. Because that's, that's not present. And, and it'll shine like, like, like crazy when we can say, yeah, I disagree with them, but they're one of my closest friends. We can still go have Dr. Pepper. What else? One or two more ideas. What would a church have to do to get that kind of label from Paul? Be willing to sacrifice for one another. Is it a sign of love when we only help someone when it's comfortable and easy? Maybe that's, that's love. A little sliver. But yeah, being willing to sacrifice for one another. I am, I am amazed at Paul's description that this new, tiny church that's being persecuted, that is struggling in this worldly city, gets this label that their love for each other is increasing. And increasing broadly and, and quickly. And it's so much that it's part of their reputation. So Paul commends their faith that is growing. He commends their love that is growing and increasing. And finally in verse 4, we get, we get the last thing. Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. And the third thing that Paul thanks God for is they are holding tight to God in persecutions and difficulties. They are holding tight to God in hope in their persecutions and in their difficulties. Now we have to understand as we look at verse 4, the therefore starts that these two grow out of a strong faith and a love for each other. 
And, and so the fact that they are, are, are strong in their knowledge of God's Word and their practice of faith in their love for each other is part of why he can boast about them and why he says he's so proud of them for holding tight to God. See, without a strong faith, it's hard to hold tight to God in difficulty. Without a strong love for each other, it's hard to hold tight to God in difficulty. I can't tell you, we're, we're about a year now into our journey as a family, and the love that you guys have shown has been such a support and such an incredible help to help us hold tight to God. To help us walk with God through this. And so thank you for that. We need each other. And so a strong faith and a strong love leads to a strong ability to persevere. And this church was birthed in the middle of difficulties. And, and what's so awesome about this is Paul is saying, your testimony is so strong as this baby church that we're telling other churches about it. And so this is an issue of testimony. When we have a strong faith, when we have a strong love for each other, when we persevere in trials, man, these are lighthouses in a dark world. It's a testimony to God. It draws people to God. And it should as we're faithful. See, what's interesting is I know a lot of people in this room are going through difficulties. I know there's challenges in every one of our lives. God wants to use those to shine a light on His grace and His peace if we will persevere and stay strong and stay tight with Him. God will use your difficulties to help others. And I know in the middle of difficulties, we get so inward focused. and We're like, oh, I can't believe I'm going through this. How could you do this, God? And we lose track of the fact that maybe he's helping others. Maybe it's not about us. That should be a youth theme sometime. (laughs) He says, I boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the inflictions that you're enduring. Steadfastness, that they stay, stay true to God, they stay true to their faith, they stay true to their relationship with Him. And the persecutions there, those are probably persecutions because of their faith. So when, when you came out in Thessalonica and many of the towns of the time, as a believer, the Jews now opposed you, the, the emperor worshipers now opposed you, you were opposed at every, every side. Sometimes you couldn't do business anymore with certain people. It was a challenge. And they were persecuted just because they said they followed Jesus. And the afflictions that are mentioned there are just general trials and difficulties of life in a fallen Genesis 3 world. And he says you're enduring those and that's part of your testimony. It's part of what God is doing. I'll end with this thought. Paul often has a triad of Christian virtues that to him summarize everything the Christian life's about. Faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. And if you start looking at for those things throughout the New Testament, you will find them everywhere. And those three are often put together. And, and, and so many believe that in the early church, that was sort of the way that they summarized how to please God and how to walk with God. Faith, love, and hope. 
in 1 Thessalonians, in part of his greeting to them, he commended them again for their faith, as little as it was then, for their love, even though it needed to grow, and their perseverance in hope. Here he's using the same three things. He doesn't use the word hope, but he uses the same word from 1 Thessalonians, a perseverance of endurance. Because really, perseverance and endurance happens because we hope in God. If there was no hope, there's no point in enduring. Right? But because we have hope that this is not all there is, we will be with Jesus one day. There will be no tears. There will be no sickness. There won't even be COVID. We have hope. This is not all there is. And so that's what allows us to persevere in difficulties. Because we know who wins. We know our Heavenly Father loves us deeply. We know that He's working all things together for His glory and our ultimate good. We know these things. And so we persevere. Not a blind, stupid perseverance, but a perseverance grounded in truth and reality. And so village, we see Paul's greeting. We see what he's thankful for. And may we be that church whose faith is healthy and growing, both through a knowledge of the faith and in actions that it comes out in our daily lives. May we be a church where it can be said of us, every one of you is abounding in your love for each other. And may we be a church that has a testimony of enduring and persevering with hope in difficulty. That's the kind of church I want to go to. And that's the kind of church I do go to. Thank you for that. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. For even a greeting that's following up on things that reminds us to follow up, reminds me as a dad to follow up with my kids, reminds me to find things where praises do and praise them and encourage them, Lord God. And Lord, I pray for our church that you would help our faith to increase, our knowledge of your word to increase. Lord, help us to not just go through life in, in our typical patterns, but to find ways to inject God conversations into life because of our faith. Lord, help us to grow in our love for each other and to find new and creative ways every week to, to surpass, to outdo one another in showing honor. And Lord, help every person in this room that's going through difficulty right now persevere to stay close to you through that, to hold tightly to you, knowing that you have this and that our future with you is secure and beautiful and wonderful. Lord, may we be a church that pleases you. Thank you, God, in your name. Amen.